Dear fellow redeemed, Jeremiah wrote it because God said it, that the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can discern its ways? And what better example do we have than James and John coming up to Jesus? As Jesus has been talking for probably two chapters here in the Gospel of Mark, two chapters about how he is going to be betrayed and crucified and on the third day rise again. The heart is deceitful above all things. And James and John, and we hear from Matthew, also their mother who comes along with them, they think to themselves, well, this is what I need and this is what I deserve. And surely, surely this isn't such a bad thing to ask. Lord, grant that each of us may sit at your right and at your left in your kingdom. And they were, they seemed to be, fully convinced in their own minds that this was a good thing for them to do, a good thing for them to ask, and that at the very least they deserved it, if nothing more. And talk about, talk about misusing that ability to approach our Lord God. As I was thinking about this text and, and looking at it and thinking about, you know, prayer, that here they have the ability to, to come to Jesus and ask him anything. They have the ability to, to know that their Lord will hear what they have to ask, that he hasn't shut his ears to them, and they misuse that blessing by having that motivation for themselves in their own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things, and who can discern its ways? As they come up to Jesus and they say, and Jesus almost sees, he has to see what, what is coming next. Teacher, we'd like to ask you something. What can we do for you? What would you like? And right there, that is the point of connection with the other two readings. From our first reading about King Uzziah, who died around the year 700. King Uzziah, who had an incredible amount of success as a king, and God had blessed his efforts. He had brought safety and security to the city. And King Uzziah said, well, I want to go thank God. I want to go into God's temple and burn some incense at his altar. The, heartful, the heart is deceitful above all things, and who can discern its ways? And it looked, it looked at the outside that that was a good and proper thing to do, to go thank God. And Uzziah excused it in his own mind. But it was totally contrary to the revealed word of God. And it was totally against what God had said in his word, with the result that Uzziah excused it because that's the emotion he felt. Uzziah played it off in his mind as though he had proper motivation. The heart is deceitful above all things, and who can understand its ways? And James and John, together with their mother, 
You know, I don't know if any of them had second thoughts as they're coming up to Jesus, and Jesus has just finished saying, well, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and be crucified, and and he's going to die. And then on the third day, he's going to be raised to life again. And James and John are sitting there talking in the background with their mom and saying, well, what could we really ask from Jesus before he is crucified and dies? Maybe we could ask for a seat at the right and at the left. Maybe that would be a good thing for us to ask. Maybe that would be something we could get from him before he departs. And it opens up the understanding and brings to mind the question of do we understand why we do what we do? Do we understand why we do what we do? And, and I guess, where do you begin with that? <laughs> it's like yes or no, and the easy answer is no, but how do you understand the motivation of your own heart and how those interior motives, good or bad that they may be, how those affect uh, the relationships we have with our loved ones, the relationships we carry out within our congregation? How does that interior motive address our emotions. Emotions like frustration or disappointment. Emotions of elation, perhaps, or, or pride. And it's good to be proud about some things, to recognize that God gives blessings and God has given us the ability to do these things. But at the same time, that that pride is a reflection of God's gift to us that that pride is really pride in what our Lord has done, that the glory belongs to him. And the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand its ways? And that question, do we understand why we do what we do? I guess the easy place to begin to unravel that is to pick up at the emotion because that's the part that shows itself. To pick up with the emotion of, well, maybe it's frustration. Frustration, why, why am I frustrated about this? Oh, because I wanted something else to happen. And then you've got the doorway to the question of your motive. Maybe it's, maybe it's that emotion of disappointment if something doesn't happen or plans had to change yet again, and the question, well, why am I disappointed? Am I disappointed because I didn't get my way or because it was just going to be a beautiful day and, and now, now it's going to be different? When we, think about, when we think about how our hearts have their own secret motive, the easiest way to understand that and begin to see what that motive is is by seeing our emotions and our re- own reactions. Maybe it's a reaction of anger. Maybe it's a reaction of surprise as though we were thinking somebody wouldn't come through with their word, that somebody would let us down again. When we think of the different emotional reactions that we have, maybe somebody has wronged us and we're rightfully angry. But there we begin to see the motives as they actually are. And the heart which is deceitful above all wants to spread its fruit 
throughout our lives. And you and I don't see how, how our motives are reflected in, until we see them in the Word of God. And we don't see what really drives us until we see their reflection in, in our reactions and our emotions and our relationships. But at some point, at some point we begin to see, oh my goodness, there's a little bit more lurking here than I had wanted to admit. That on the surface, my emotion was, um, or my, my motive, my motivation looked good. But what was driving that, the hidden part behind this, wasn't just, you know, a good management of a blessing, but it was worry that my Lord would provide, or greed that this is some opportunity that I need to seize for myself. That idea of, of motive, as it relates to our emotion, almost like interlocking links of a chain, it can be helpful at least to understand a little bit of why we do what we do, but even more. Even more, it gives a window into, into the heart as God describes it that if God were as straightforward with you and me as he was with Uzziah, Uzziah and that improper motivation which was totally contrary to the word of God, then Uzziah wouldn't be the only leprous one in the room. We'd all be looking in the mirror and saying, oh, what's this? <laughs> that if we, like the other ten disciples, are, are all of a sudden angry, or worked up, and maybe rightfully so, at James and John for that request. How arrogant and how tone deaf. Here's Jesus talking about his crucifixion, and they're like, hey, can I have a seat at your right and at your left? Give me the glory. Give me the authority. Give me the power. That's what I want, and that's what I need. That if we're angry along with the ten disciples, isn't there a tiny little bit that says, well, Maybe God has reserved that spot for me. And we see what Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 9. And he talks about his joy in, in accommodating himself to the cultures and the people as well as he can for the purpose of gospel proclamation so that he might share in the blessings of the gospel. And we see that and we read that and it sounds, it sounds almost foreign that here's this guy who has like, like the first church in every city around the world is named St. Paul, right? <laughs> here's this guy who had the privilege of writing a number of New Testament books and all he can say is, I want to show Jesus. When in reality, you and I see that, and it sounds almost foreign to say, you know, Paul, don't you have any personal motive in this? Don't you have any personal benefit in this? Because I certainly would. The heart is deceitful above all things, and who can discern its ways? And most of the time, we don't see it. 
Most of the time it remains hidden because we don't have spots of leprosy breaking out on our foreheads and we don't have Jesus addressing us by saying, well, that's not for you. (laughs) That's not for me to give right now. And can you undergo the suffering that I'm going to undergo? We don't have Jesus addressing that motive when it comes out so clearly. But at the same time, those motives make themselves known. And it brings pain to our relationships. And it brings suffering to our lives. And it might even bring strife to congregations. The heart is deceitful above all things. And who can discern its ways? The answer, of course, is the Lord. That he sees the heart. That he is the one who diagnoses it correctly. That he is the one who points out ever so clearly the inward turning of the heart that is so concerned with preserving itself, preserving its own motivation, and camouflaging its intent. The heart which is consistently looking for someone or something to worship in place of the Lord. And the answer to all of it, as the Lord diagnoses our hearts, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Look at what Jesus says. He who has the authority, all authority and power in heaven and on earth, he who has... um, who knew even ahead of time what James and John would be asking, Jesus says, well, that is not the way it's supposed to be among you. Whoever wants to be great must be servant among you. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we hear Jesus say that, when we hear Jesus say that, we have to recognize He's not just talking about the the gross, obvious, outward sin. He's not just talking about a a small handful of the few things where I I messed up last week and I said the wrong thing and, um, and I did the wrong thing. He's talking about us. Down to the very root, the heart. Down to the very motives that you and I are largely blind to as we go about our day down to the very emotions that sprout from that motive and the actions that bring pain to our own lives and dysfunction to our relationships. That's what Jesus gave his life for, as a ransom for for you and for me. To buy back your heart from from the possession of the devil to wash you clean, and to say, Dear friend, in holy baptism, God buried you and raised you. That's a spiritual reality. That there at that baptismal font, you were united with Jesus, and he came to dwell within your heart in a very personal and individual way. He came to dwell within your heart so that you can say, You know what? I know the condition of my heart and how deceitful it is, and that on my own, I'm sinful from the very moment in time that my life started. But my Lord has redeemed me and ransomed me. He's washed me clean. And he does so again. He does so again here at the Lord's table where 
even in that confession at the beginning of the worship service and in your own heart and mind um, before coming to the Lord's table, we can confess that sinful inclination, that inclination towards self, the motive that we see or that we don't see. And you can come here. You can come here for the, the tangible and personal and effective forgiveness of our Lord. That it's not that when we come here, it's not just some recollection of a far-off event. And it's not just some commitment to doing better. Heavens, no. That coming here, Jesus washes your heart and says, Dear child, you are clean. You have a new life. You have fellowship with these people here. You have a purpose in this life that goes beyond your own motivations and desires. You have a purpose that that is connected to the very ministry of Jesus, that he wants to bring his word of salvation to this place and everywhere. You could think of it this way. That even as James and John were standing there, kicking at the dust and talking with their mother about what they were considering asking, even as the sandals crunched through the sand as they walked up to Jesus, Jesus looked at them, saw what they would ask, looked at their hearts and loved them. And he said to himself, well, we've got to talk about this to draw out the, the sinful motive behind it. But he was eager to get to that last part that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was eager to get to that reality that said, this is why he came, to set you and me free from, from those hidden driving emotions and motives that we'll never understand, but to wash you, to make you clean, and say, dear Christian, dear friend, you have a place. You have a heart that is clean and a place where that clean heart can be exercised, yes, in relationships with other Christians, working together in ministry together. You have a place where your Lord comes to you personally and tangibly that the Jesus who rose from the dead still comes here today. That yes, Jeremiah was right because God said it. The heart is deceitful above all things and who can discern its ways? The answer, well, the Lord can discern its ways. And he's washed your heart. He's set you free from the, the trap of emotion and by, set you free from the impulse of that motive so that we can stand here and say, Lord, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve me. And I've been set free to serve him. So create in me a clean heart that I may serve you completely. Amen.